It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Grecian's Gossip. Joining me today is Stuart James and Jamie Hawkins, our podcast regulars. Good morning. Hi, Jack. Hi, Jack. So another another good week for uh, Exeter City. They seem to not be able to stop winning at the moment. We'll start with the win against Cheltenham in League Two with you, Jamie, first of all. A game of two halves, it seems. Yeah, it's a terrible cliche, isn't it? It's, <laughs> obviously, it's a game of two halves. But um, no, I mean, Exeter just didn't get going in the first half at all. I don't know what it was. Um, it was so slow and, and sloppy from them. Obviously, the conditions were were awful but you know you can't make excuses for that the pitch was still pretty superb I mean there were perhaps one or two doubts among supporters about the the game going ahead but um, when you turn up the ground there was never any doubts as to you know if it was going ahead or not but um, yeah it was just really slow it was strange how you know obviously Exeter picked up form lately got back to winning ways and scoring you know goals for fun um, so it was interesting, Cheltenham sort of set up with a, a, a game plan to get X on the, the counter-attack and they did look really threatening when when going forward and a bit of a comical goal um, to concede when, when Martin sort of tried to clear the ball, Moxie got in the way and um, obviously they get in and the guy has a, a simple tap-in but I don't know, I was saying to Stu before we came on, even at half-time I was never, you know, Never in doubt in my mind that City would come back to, mm. to win because I've got the feeling that once you could attack Cheltenham and, and break the defence down, they could cause problems. And that showed in the second half. Obviously, Taylor changed it up um, formation wise and tactic wise, which paid dividends and scored some good goals. The second goal, particularly when Boateng um, played a sorry, Law played a brilliant ball to Boateng to feed him through and then crossed it across to, to Stockley, finished well. and Jonathan Fort making a, a welcome return back from, from injury, scored a good goal um, and obviously got a brace against West Ham. So, yeah, it was another good win. Um, Cracking goal from Sweeney as well, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, goal of the month, surely. <laughs> just I was right behind it and just knew as soon as he hit it, he, he yeah. was going to go in. Brilliant half volley. It's always good as well if you can come back from behind as well. They didn't need to do that against West Ham, Stu. You were there covering that game in the Checker Trade Trophy. I know not every fan enjoys that competition, but a win nonetheless against West Ham's under-21s. Yeah, it was, a, it was a funny old night, really, because, as you say, not many fans go to, go to these games, and there was another boycott going on, so it was a really, really quiet St James's Park, and I think there was only about 1,100 fans there. Um, it was just a routine win, really. It was just such a comfortable win for City. I just thought their game management, given that they're such a young team, mm. you know, City put out a really young team against a very young West Ham team, but City were just so in control. Um, the experienced players really played their part. I thought Lee Martin looked a threat all night. Uh, John Ford scored two cracking goals, the second one especially. I mean, Jamie and I were watching it before we came on to do the, the podcast. It's such a good header. You know, he's, the technique he showed to sort of flick the ball when he's got his back to goal to flick it over the goalkeeper's head and into the far corner it really was exquisite I thought but the result wasn't the biggest talking point of the game was it it was a no. floodlight failure I know it's, I mean it's happened a few times at City it's funny actually because we're going to speak to Alan Tong in a bit and um, I remember a game back in the 90s that Alan played in and there was a floodlight failure then and it was very similar because some of the lights went out so there was a little bit of sort of gloom 
but um, it, the game was able to continue. But then two or three minutes later, there was you know a sort of complete blackout. About three quarters to you know maybe even more than that, most of the lights had gone out, and the referee had no option but to take the players off the pitch. And how much injury time was uh, given? Well, that was that a half? funny thing because on the stroke of half time, of course, the board goes up, and the the fourth official put up twenty seven <laughs> minutes, which uh, is certainly a record high for me. That's for sure. It's got to be a record. Yeah, fantastic. Well, before we discuss Exeter's upcoming game at Port Vale, Stu obviously caught up with uh, former Grecian Alan Tong. Here's what he had to say. Okay, so I am joined on the phone now by former Exeter. Midfielder Alan Tong. Hi, Alan. Hey, Stuart. How are you doing? You okay? Yeah, very well, thank you. Um, I've been speaking to the lads lots about this and uh, saying about what a hero of mine you were as a youngster because being a big Man United fan as well, you you obviously joined Exeter from the Red Devils, didn't you? That's right. I uh, going, going back a number of years now. So, uh, typical, typical journey like a lot of young footballers. Came, came through the schoolboy system. Yeah, indeed. Were you ever close to playing for the first team at Old Trafford? Well, I, I had um, I had a, an opportunity to play with him in a, in a couple of friendlies. Uh, we had a player back then called Giuliano Majoran. He was a very talented left winger. Yeah. And as part of as part of the arrangement for Giuliano coming to Man United, United said they'd, they'd send the team down to Histon, which was the, the sort of non-league club that he came from. So I was I was involved with that. I've also been involved in a in a couple of other sort of first team friendlies as well against different clubs. So so it's kind of on the verge, Stuart, but not quite not quite in there on a on a regular basis. More more in the in the reserves, really. Yeah, it's funny hearing you talk about Histon because that brings back memories of uh, of Exeter and our non league days because they were opponents of ours back in the back in the conference. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, um, as you say, though, you, you, you were released from United and um, yeah. your next move was Exeter. I mean, how did that come about? That must have been a hell of a change of scenery for you because, uh, you know, it obviously was. being a Manchester lad and what have you. Absolutely. Well, it was, um, it was funny because when I was a first year apprentice at Man United, I must have been, you know, doing something quite well because I got, I got chosen to represent the Football League 11. Uh, we travelled to Moscow to play a Russian Football League 11 in a sort of like a a sort of um, a special game, like a centenary game. I think it was for like the Russian football. It was a certain 100 years old, something like that. Anyway, the managers of the party that took us on that was uh, Alan Ball and Laurie McMenemy. Oh, okay. So, yeah, it, it was a really, really good experience. I managed, we managed to win 2-1. And they actually captained the football league side. All right. And changed, you know, a few, a few players in there who, who went on to... To, uh, to have reasonable football careers. A lad called Paul Kitson, who was a centre forward. I think he, he played with Newcastle and Derby County. Yeah, I remember him. Uh, I think we had a, a, another lad called Joey Bolchamp, who had quite a good career, I think, with, 
with uh, a couple of like, lower league teams. I think Oxford United was one. I think I think he started at Liverpool as a youngster. So there's a few players dotted in there so who went on to have reasonable careers. So that that was a really good experience. So so when I got released from United, the opportunity arose where uh, we got got in contact with Exeter because Barley was the manager there, and he said, "Oh, come, come down and, and we'll, we'll sort of uh, we'll, we'll offer you, you know, we'll have, we'll have a look at you." Yeah. And as I say, though, I mean, it was a you know a, a big move for you being a Manchester boy and, and coming all the way to the West Country. You must have found it a bit of a culture shock. Well, it was because I, I was only nineteen at the time. So yeah. It was kind of like I think it's about my dad. I remember my dad putting a like a map together for me because I only I only had a little four Fiesta at the time, and, and it's like say, Stu, it was quite a fair journey down there. It took me about <laughs> took me about four hours drive, something like that. Yeah, so what did you do when you came down? Did you move in with like a load of other lads or, or how did it work yeah. out? Yeah, first time away from home and all of that, I guess. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. That's, that's correct. So who who did you share with? Can we get any names or <laughs> Yeah, I, I was I was uh, John Hodge was in the in the digs at the time. Uh, we had we had a big goalkeeper, Kev Miller. Kev was in the digs. Uh, a couple of young lads called Damien Cooper and uh, Graham Waters. And then we had another lad in there called Tony Franklin, who was like a young centre half. Yeah. So so like I say about about five or six lads in, in this particular house who, who sort of shared, uh, shared the digs. Yeah, all young lads and uh, enjoying the excellent nightlife, no doubt, as well. Yeah, that's right. Boxes, warehouse. <laughs> Hot house. <laughs> yeah. Um, we had John Hodge on the show last week, funnily enough, and um, I mean, yeah. he was great. Came up with some fantastic stories and told us about yeah. Alan Ball and what have you. What were your memories yeah. of Alan Ball? Because he was such a, a a massive name for somebody like Exeter as well at the time. Yeah, he was. You know, obviously, he had an unbelievable playing career, and uh, he managed to, you know, with with the World Cup with England, which was was incredible, really, because Alan had a. Uh, he years old, I think Bolton Wanderers told him he was too small, and then he was, you know, he was in the World Cup winning squad at 21 years old, so five seasons later, you know, it just goes to show you that you should never give up and no. always keep battling and fighting away, but, but yeah, but Paul, he was a very passionate character, he, he was um, a, a, a really good man, very, very similar to Alex Ferguson, really, Stuart, he was very, very, he held heads on winning, you know, I know he, he, Exeter City kind of say, well, 
you know, what's the likelihood of Exeter winning every week? But that's that's what that's what he set up his his teams to do, and that's what he's he's tried to do. You know, his training sessions were really good. They were always based on passing and movement and control. So he he was a footballer man, and he and he set his teams up to play football, which was which was really nice because sometimes when you go down the divisions, you may end up with a manager who just wants to play long football all yeah. the time. And, and back bouncing the ball off clouds to get it in the box, so, so it was it was quite a it was quite a nice thing that Bowley decided to set his teams up to to play the right way. Indeed, and speaking to Hodgie again, you know, from from last week, and he said what a good team Exeter had at that time, you know, with uh, the likes of Stevie Williams in midfield, Eamon Collins, yeah, Hodgie on the wing, Jeppo yeah, Arano yeah. up front. It was it was a hell of a team, really, for that level. It, it was because I think Bowley brought a lot of players with him from Southampton and lads who had been associated with Stuart, like yeah. like you say, Stevie Moran, Stevie Williams, uh, established pros, you know, like lads who have had good careers at high levels. I remember going down and having, I think Vince Allaire was there for a spell. That's you know, right, yeah. was a, a, a very, very talented player with, with Crystal Palace. I think I think he got England that early on in his career. So, yeah, some, some fantastic pros to really learn from. And, you know, that, that really helped me settle down and, and push on with my career. Yeah, absolutely. What about your highlights of your time at, at Exeter? Well, my, my particular highlight has got to be the boxes that went off the Germans, I think. Uh, that was a, a, a brilliant occasion. Uh, I can remember it being an early early kick-off. I think it was more like half 11 kick-off because yeah. of the, the crowd situation. And, and it was one of, them, one of them games that sort of everything seemed to go right for Exeter. So we won 2-0 in the end, as you can recall. And I think we had three goals just allowed as well. And, and to get those goals past Peter Shilton was quite a, you know, a, a really nice thing to do. Yeah, absolutely, and I'm right in thinking you were man of the match in that game, weren't you? I did really well in that game. I managed to get a man of the match award, and I set the first goal up for Peter Weston as well. A nice cross into the box, which is great. So, yeah, that particular story of that day, Stuart, was Bowley gave me a marketing job on Warren Joyce. Yeah, he told me that you know he'd had, he'd looked at Warren before before as a manager for Stoke City, and you know he tried to sign him a couple of times. And he said Warren was their danger man. A lot of play tended to go through him. So he said to me, like, called me in on the Thursday and said, that's your job for Saturday morning is just to follow him everywhere and snap at his ankles and get your tackles in and, and make sure that he doesn't do anything. And, and that was the task. And fortunately, I managed it to carry it out quite well and, and give him, <laughs> roughed him up a little bit that day. And uh, we, we, like I say, we come away with the three points and won 2 0. Yeah, well, you must have broken away from the shackles at some stage to put the cross in for Peter Weston as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it. I think, I think like boys, you know, you know, keep your eye on Warren Joyce when they've got possession. Yeah. Uh, but when, it, when when we sort of get it back, go and join in and go and play, you know, and go and get on the, on the ball. I think I think it was a corner that they come to, a short corner, and it come back to me, and I managed to, to sort of bend, bend it in from the, from the old cow shed side. And uh, Peter Whiston edited it in, and that was at like, the away supporters end as well, which was nice. So, yeah, great, great memories, Stuart. Fantastic memories. Yeah. It, had you worked on set pieces in the build up to that game? Because I remember uh, Scott Daniels scored the second goal as well, and that came from a corner kick as well. He did, yeah. Um, Bowler used to, used to look at on Friday mornings, he would sit in the, the training ground at the camp for the world. The sort of set pieces, have a look at who's doing what, free kicks, corners, etc., etc. So we we might have had a look at that. 
you know, because like I say, I think a lot of a lot of uh, goals can come from set pieces, as, as we've seen in the World Cup with England. You know, we always we were dangerous off off dead sort of things, corners, because we had some decent lads who could head the ball. Like Peter Whiston, Scotty Daniels, you know, lads, lads who could get in. Jeff yeah. Bolt, put the red in and score a goal for you. Yeah, absolutely. What about your other memories? Obviously, later on that season, we went down to Home Park and won three 0 But I don't—I can't remember if you were involved that day or not. Yeah, I don't think I was involved. I managed to go down there and play in a, like an autograph trophy. That's probably the oldest strong memory of that of my time there, Stuart. And that would be we had a good run in the autograph trophy, and man, it was only like uh, one game away from Wembley, unfortunately, That's right, and it yeah. didn't quite work out. Uh, and I think—I think we played. I think we played um, Plymouth, Br- Reading, Brighton on our run. I think we drew Port Vale in the sort of semi. That's right. Yeah. Uh, went went up to their place. I think if my memory serves me right, I think it was two one to Port Vale at Vale Park. That's right. I remember Danny Bailey scored an absolute rocket Danny from Bailey about thirty scored. yards. <laughs> he did. So we, we we nicked an away goal and then we came to the second leg at St James's and the, uh, we went one up Stuart for most of that game yeah I remember but that we could, see, we could see the twin towers the twin towers were inside do you remember who scored the goal it was was it Stuart Storer no it was Jason Minnette Jason Minnette right okay. yeah okay so Jason put us one up so we would have gone through on away goals yeah and then I think it was it Bernie Slaven yeah, I think you're right. I think it was Bernie Slaven. Was it Bernie Slaven who slotted on for Vale to make it one all? He put he put them through, didn't he? Was it three two El Agregor? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so uh, like to, to be cut so close yet so far, that was probably like one of the one of the highlights going on the run because we only had a relatively young side. I think yeah. if you look, if you look at all the, the the descriptions of the game and the reports of the game back then, I think the average age at Brighton away was something like twenty one and. Always said, you know, we had like a, a group of young players, and only one person cost us a fee in that side, and things like that. So, yeah. but to go away from home and get results was, uh, you know, it was really pleased with that. Yeah. And, and like I said, just just disappointing we couldn't see it through and, and get a Wembley appearance. Yeah, that's right. Well, when you look back at the squad at that time, I guess that's... I mean, Hodgie speaks about it as well. And he says the yeah. problem was probably that there wasn't the depth. You know, you, you had a yeah. good sort of 1-11, to 11, but then after that, yeah. you were sort of struggling, really. Yeah, well, I remember once you know, we had that... You know, is it, is it the Express and Echo? Is that still your local paper? Yes, it is, yeah. Yeah, there was, a, there was an article on the back of that that said something like emergency cell block eight had about 12 players injured. Really? So yeah, and then, like say because of the because of the squad back then were quite threadbare because of the financial situation. So there wasn't there wasn't a lot of money floating around back then. It put quite a lot of pressure on, and, and you know, in a good way because sometimes young players have to be given their head maybe sooner rather than later. Yeah. So you know, we had a, a couple of good good youngsters breaking through, like Mark, Martin Phillips. Yeah, Buster uh, stands out as, as 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 one particular player who was who was talented. And, uh, you know, Martin was coming into the team at 18, 19, getting his chance. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, you know, like I say, good, good memories and good times. Yeah, absolutely. But the sad thing was, obviously, you picked up this back injury, which ultimately led yeah. to you having to retire, didn't it? It did, unfortunately. It was a real sad time. 
I had, uh, I don't know, for some reason I started getting pins and needles in my feet and my back and my legs. And so what I did stupidly, I kept playing. I kept playing for a while, thinking it had died down because, you know, in the, in the lower leagues, you, all you get is like um, short-term contracts. Yeah. And my contract was running out and I thought, well, I'm going to have to keep going here because I, I can't really afford to be out too long because I've, I've got to try and get visible back in the first team again. So I, I really played with that for maybe longer than I should have done, maybe about a month before I reported it to uh, to Mickey Chapman, who was our physio back then. Yeah. They sent, they sent me for an MRI scan, and the next thing you know, they were in touch with Fred K Hospital, and they had to go and have surgery. They had to go and have uh, a spinal surgery, and like I say, it was two two serious operations that I had. I had screws and plates inserted in the bottom of my spine. I was only 22. And although I tried to rehabilitate and recover, I, I was never the same again. So it, about 18 months later, Stuart, I decided to, to, between myself and the surgeon to say, you know, sadly it's time to, to call my professional days are coming to an end. Yeah, were you still at Exeter at the time? Still, still, still at Exeter at the time. And, you know, incredibly, after I finished at Exeter, professional football level, I, I did manage to play again. I did come back and play with, with a couple of non-local non-league sides one was called Elmore oh, and yeah. one was called Cl- Cliss Rovers yeah. and I, I had a season or two with them but I, wa- I wasn't the same uh, mentally I think that I was petrified of getting a knee in the back or something like that you know, in the, you know if you went up for a header or yeah. so I, I kind of wasn't 100% I was playing at 70% and uh, after a couple of seasons I thought it's really time to just to, to, to knock football on the head really and think about doing something else. Yeah, but you stayed in the region. You, you know, obviously you're back in Manchester yeah. now, but you stayed down for a bit after you retired then. Yeah, I, I, stayed, I stayed in the region for a little while. Uh, and then after, after a bit, because my football had finished and because I didn't really have a lot of... Well, I had no family down there, so... I thought that the, the best thing to do really was, was head, head back up north again and I, I think it was about 1997, 98 or something we headed back up to the uh, up to Bolton to live for a bit. Yeah, so when was the last time you went to St James's Park? Last last time I was at St James's, Stuart, to be honest with you, never been back since the last. Really? That is, that the last time I was at St James's, Stuart, you're probably lucky now. Probably looking about 95, something like that, 94, 95. That, that's it. I've never been back in 23 years. So, yeah. I will, I keep saying to you on social media, I will come down. Because, I, I, you know, it was a time of my life. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the people. I enjoyed, I enjoyed everything about Exeter. A beautiful place to live. And I would definitely come back one day to, to, re, to, to, to revisit some of these memories I have as well. Maybe go and have a look around the training ground and, and catch a first team game. Sure, that would be fantastic. Absolutely, I'm going to hold you to that one. <laughs> yeah. As you say, we've been talking about it for a while, so it would be, uh, yeah. be good to have you down. I know that there's a lot of people that would love to hear some of your yeah. anecdotes oh, and what have you as well. That'd be great. That'd Absolutely. be brilliant. So, what, what are you up to these days then, Alan? Yeah, well, what I did after my, after my playing career comes to an end, uh, I sort of went into a a couple of couple of different jobs. I was working in a warehouse for a bit, and I was driving some vans. I think I did a little bit bit of work for the Royal Mail, and, and it's just just a bit lost, I suppose. You know, after the football career had finished, I got I got probably lost for a couple of years, and wasn't too sure what I wanted to do next. And 
I don't know, for some reason I just thought I'd really give me education again. So I went, I went back to university when I was 28 to do a sports science degree. And then from that, I did a PGCE, which is like a teacher training qualification, because I, I enjoyed I enjoyed some of the lectures that I had, and I thought to myself, I, I could maybe, maybe see myself doing that. So I done my teacher training quality, and I, I got a, a, a job pretty quickly as a lecturer. Uh, when I when I come out of my PGCE, so I, I finished my PGCE about the July time, and then I, I started a role as a lecturer about August the twentieth. And since then, I've been that's what I've been doing. I've been I've been teaching for nearly fifteen years now, yeah. mainly in mainly in higher education and delivering degree provision for sports coaches, sports science students. So, so yeah, that's that's kind of where my where my career went. I I become a teacher. Yeah. Well, it's interesting to hear you talk about the um, sport coaching qualifications you've taken there because uh, I'm not sure yeah. how much you follow Exeter these days, but the manager Matt Taylor he went down a similar sort of path in right. terms of his uh, in terms of his coaching qualifications. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's important because again, it's it's like some of the stuff I'm doing. I'm still doing a bit of active research at the moment, and we're looking at something called transitions and players players who have to come out of football. You know, like what do they do next and how does that affect their mental health and it's quite an important area at the moment and I'm, I'm glad to see Stuart that quite a lot of players are opening up recently and, yeah. and talking about their issues which is which is brilliant to see because it, it shines more light and it gives us more understanding of what players are going through and, and people as well in, in the environments that we live in. Yeah, have you spoken to Robbie Simpson at all? I've spoken to Robbie briefly in relation to the last, the life after professional sport. Yeah. So I said to Robbie, you know, if there's any if there's any guest talks or anything I can help with in in, in his particular business, uh, please feel free to give me a shout. And he, he said if there's anything in Manchester or the surrounding areas that that he'll he'll drop us an email or or try to get me involved somewhere, which is again is fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Because of course Robbie was uh, with Exeter until the end of last season, and uh, he's up sure, with yeah. there now up at MK Dons. So yes, fantastic. Yes. Well, that's great to hear, Alan. Um, just yep. for the listeners out there, I did set you a challenge last week, didn't I, of coming up with yep. your um, best <laughs> team of uh, players that you played with. Um, you did. The, the challenge was five from United and five from Exeter, including yourself. Uh, no prices for guessing who the manager is. It's got to be Alan Ball, of course. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's difficult. It's Alan Ball, yeah, Fergie. Well, that's, yeah, it's a tough one, that one. So who, did you, who would you go for, Bally or Fergie? Uh, it's a, that's a tough one, isn't it? Because I think Fergie was for his, his I don't know, his dominance of football, but it, it all it all started after I left here, so I've got a factor at it. <laughs> and I've got a, I've got a factor in the fact that Borley gave me a chance as well to get myself back in elite football, so uh, I'm going to stick Borley in as the manager, I think, for this particular side. All oh, right, okay. So, what was more fearful, the Alex Ferguson hairdryer or the Alan Ball flat cap? being thrown yeah. across the dressing room. Yeah. <laughs> uh, both, both absolutely <laughs> ridiculous when they lost the chance to do it. Absolutely, yeah, mad, mental. You, you know, both winners, both passionate. If they're, not, if they're not seeing what they want to see, they will let you know in no uncertain terms, believe you me. Yeah, sure. dryer and Mike Ball, he used to absolutely go ballistic as well because they set high standards you and you expect you to live up to them. That's yeah. the fact of the matter. And if they don't, yeah, absolutely. Right, go on then, Alan. Crack on. Let's hear your team. Okay, so the, I've gone 
goalkeeper, the big corners from Kev Miller. Um, really, really strong keeper, Kev. Big lads. Kev was one of those who was really good with his feet and any, any balls that got knocked back to him, he could like knock him 60, 70 yards. So, and that's when the sort of the, the, the type of goalkeeper that that were usually was good with the feet was just coming into prominence about 94, 93, 94 times. So, yeah. so Kev, Kev's gone in goal. Difficult choice, too, because I could have gone with Lexi Ely. I played with Gary Walsh, I played with Mark Bosnick, and I also played with Nicky Pollitt, who had a fantastic career in football. Nicky was still in goal at about 40 years old, but, but just because we got a big five from each, each sort of area, United and Exeter, I've gone for big Kev okay. to, to fill the goalkeeping spot. The fullback I've gone for Scotty Eiley. Yeah. Scotty, Scotty was a fantastic fullback, stood out at Exeter, really good player. I think he got a good move. Um, did he go to Birmingham? Stuart from Exeter. That's right. Yeah, he did. For, for it was about a quarter of a million, something like that. So I've got Scotty in there, and, he, and Scotty has the has the YouTube clip of the century done by Megan Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> he does so, indeed. You know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, again, difficult choice because I could have gone with Viv Anderson, who I played with. He was a great footballer. Lee Martin, superb player. Mickey Duxbury as well. Like going back a number of years, they're all great players, but. Like I say, to fill the five and five, I've gone with Scotty at fullback. Okay. Last fullback, I've gone for the old sparring partner called Daisy Mad Dog Cooper. Okay. Um, honest lad, Dave. Great lad, great player. Always give hundred percent. Good tackler, good left foot. Again, tough choice. I could have gone with Andy Cox. I could have gone with Dennis Irwin. I could have gone with Clayton Blackmore. All fantastic footballers. But because he's my sparring partner, because he was my best friend at the time, we spent a lot of time together. I've gone with my uh, my sidekick, Dave Cooper, at last back. I'm sure he'll be delighted to hear that as well. <laughs> yeah, he will. I'm going to back him even if I don't think you've made my team. And he, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll put the team on social media as well, so it's absolutely sweet that out. Brilliant. Okay, the first, the first centre half, I've pumped a big Paul McGrath, so I brought a United player in here now. Yep. Uh, Paul, Paul was a role voice of a football player. Absolutely brilliant. Read the game well. Uh, incurred the wrath of Fergie a little bit. I don't know if you remember back then. Was a, it was like a sort of drinking cult with yeah. himself and Norman and uh, Robbo. Uh, but and Kevin Moran. Great lad. Great, great memories of Paul McGrath. Uh, an absolutely beautiful human being. And help anybody. Very, very humble. So, so the Paul's gone is what is one of my centre halves. A company Paul I've gone for the, the lad who scored the winner, one of the goals against Plymouth, Peter Weston. Peter Weston again, solid player, a big lad, good, good skills for a big lad. He could bring the ball out from the back, he was a good passer, intelligent player. So I plumped for Peter, Pete Weston and Paul McGrath as my centre-backs. OK. OK, on the, on the right wing I've gone for Stuart Dora. Um, Stuart was a good player, he comes from... Uh, I think he was a youngster at Bolton Wanderers. I played against him when I was at United, United A team and youth teams. And he, if I was left back and Stuart was on the right wing, Stuart had always caused me problems. He was he was very quick out to deal with. Um, again, difficult to choose because I played with a lad called Eddie Doherty, who Oliver Cage just wrote a book about a year or two ago. Yeah. Called Forever Young. Uh, Aidy was a fantastic player. He sadly lost his life as a young lad. I think it was about 27, 20, 27, 30, something like that. A real, real sad tale. But he was a, he was a smashing little footballer. I also could have gone with Andre Tomkowski and Johnny Hodge as well, who you spoke to a couple of weeks ago. Johnny was a good little winger. 
Um, could beat a full back, he could get his crosses in, you know, a little speed, only small, but very, very speedy. So, yeah. but I've, I've pumped for Stuart's door on the right wing. Okay. Hodgie won't be happy. You know Hodgie won't be happy about that. I know, it's difficult because I'm trying to, I'm trying to balance everything up. And, yeah. Uh, we'll put him on the know. bench, shall we? <laughs> we'll, we'll give you half a game each for Stuart Storrow. Okay, thanks for the pass. I've gone for myself alongside Brian, my, my hero, Brian Robson. Got yeah. Rob Lowers. I've, you know, I've said it over social media before today. An absolute supreme footballer, Rob he could do everything. He could, he could pass. He could control. He could, he could score goals. He could head. He could get. He could tackle. He was a leader of men. He was courageous. Everything. I think you talk about players, professional players. You say, could he do everything? And, and Rob was one of those lads that, that could. Yeah. I can't speak. Can't speak highly enough of Brian Robson, an unbelievable player. Yeah, challenging Rob, challenging Rob for that central midfield spot. I had Ruffle Coughlin in there again, excellent little footballer. Dan, one of the St James's Park favourites, Danny Bailey of years gone by. You know, Danny was a good little, good player as well, strong, good passer, uh, great attitude. Uh, he was, he was sort of up for consideration, and he also had little Gordon Strachan in there as well, who got to sort of play on the right side, but he could play in the centre midfield again, and he was a super little footballer, so he was a a tough one, but I've gone for me and Robbo in the centre. Yeah, just a word on Robbo. I mean, obviously you're a massive United fan as well as yeah. an ex-player, Alan. Uh, yeah. When you see Paul Pogba, it must drive yeah. you crazy. Man, I'm like you. Robbo was my hero growing up as a child. Yeah. I used to love Robbo. And when I see yeah. Pogba, I just get so infuriated by him. And I can understand where Jose Mourinho is coming from with his lack of discipline. Yeah. Because he's very disappointed at the moment. And, you know, you think uh, we're talking to my mate before and we were saying about... Pogba wouldn't have got away with it if you dressing rooms had, had passed. No. Roy Keane, Roy Keane would have had him or, or Fergie would have had something to say or Robbo would have had something to say or Peter Schmeichel would have had a go at him or Bootsy would have had a go at him. He wouldn't have been allowed to do this. And I think what worries me at the moment is Man United situation is the lack of leadership in, yeah. that, in that dressing room. They all seem to be looking at each other for, for sort of inspiration. Nobody's taking the ball by the horns here and mm. it seems to there seems to be a loss of control, so that I think that's something that Mourinho has got to really, really try and address as soon as possible. Or else it's going to be carnage here. There'll be players wanting to leave. There'll be players not performing. There'll be players who are who don't seem interested. So he's got to try and nail this down as quick as he can and, and try and get these results coming again. Absolutely. Okay, back to the team then, Alan. Left wing. Okay, so so the left the left winger I've got. Giggs has got the spot on the left wing, Ryan Giggs. Uh, unbelievable player, Ryan. Remember him as a 13-year-old, first time I saw him. Uh, Eric Harrison came over and said, this lad's going to be some player. He didn't mean a lot to me at the time, Stuart, because, you know, at the end of the day, I, well, I was only 14, 15 years old, so, it, you know, saying someone's going to be brilliant it didn't mean a lot, but he came through the youth teams with Ryan and uh, phenomenal football. He didn't carry any condition, no weight on the lad. But when he got the ball and his pace and his dribbling skills and he could score goals, he could create goals and, you know, one, one of the greatest players that United have ever had and you just look at his look at his professional record and his appearances and the, the amount of trophies that he's won and, you know, he, he is a legend of, of Premier League football but one of the best around gigs, a great, great player. Yeah. So up for, up, for the, up for grabs in that spot, I have little Martin Phillips 
Giuliano Majorano, who was a very, very skillful left winger, had Link Sharp there as well, who was a good winger, Sharpy, but Sharpy was sort of, used to flip between left full-back and left wing, he was a left-back when he first started, but he, he ended up going forward more, but, you know, Sharpy was a top player, scored goals strong, well, maybe Giggs' emergence maybe sort of put Sharpy under a bit of pressure a bit, and Giggsy won the argument on that one. Yeah. Okay, my two centre forwards to finish off my 11. First one, big Norman Whiteside. Uh, Norman, fantastic centre forward. Uh, great left foot. Confident. Temperament was fantastic. Great touch. The thing with Norman is he always had plenty of time on the ball. You know, even in time training sessions. Yeah. Pop the ball into Norman and he always, he always seems to be one of those players who seems to sort of he had time to look up and make his decisions. I think his brain was fantastic, very, very quick and aware. I think Eddie Harrison said to you that one of the best youngsters he's ever worked with Norman. Once he told him something, it stuck. And yeah. he, he wouldn't he wouldn't make the same mistake again. So as you as you're a youngster coming through into the first team, you know, that's a fantastic trait to have and you know, Norman unfortunately did some unbelievable things as a young kid, youngest player to play in the World Cup. Scoring goals in FA Cup finals, Milk Cup finals, only 17 years old. Yeah. And then, you know, injury troubles kicked in, and, you know, I think, I think not not to pack in about 26 years old, which is a shame because, you know, he's another one who could have had 500, 600 appearances at Man United, and he's a legend there, but, yeah, I think Norman will tell you himself, he, he maybe could have done a bit more, but due to injuries, sadly, his career was cut short. Yeah. So, up for grabs against Norman was Jeff O'Ronnie Ronnie Jepson, a real character. Uh, I think he arrived to Exeter. I'm not sure if it was Preston. Was it Preston we got him from? Uh, yeah, it could have been Preston, uh, Preston or Port Vale, one of those two, I think. Yes. Now, Jeff O was a real character, big lad, good, good, good target man, held, held the ball up, scored goals. But a real character in the, in the dressing room, Jeff O. And he was one of those lads who, you know, you'd want in the trenches to if he was going to win. Uh, and another centre forward that was up for grabs as well there was Stevie Moran. You know, like we said before, Bawley brought him in with Steve Williams and Stevie Moran was a great little centre forward, fantastic finisher. You know, in turn he used to finish for fun. But I think he was coming to the end of his career when he was at Exeter and uh, it was kind of slowing down a little bit, but you, you could still see the quality. Yeah. And the final choice, stupid pa- partnering Norman up front, I've gone with Mark Hughes, who I played with at Liston. He was in the team when I, when I kind of had a little a little dust on the first team, knock on the first team door. Uh, unbelievable, a bit like Jekyll, strong target man. Uh, hold the ball up, score goals, good header of the ball. Again, a very, very quiet, shy almost man, but when he come onto the pitch like a raging bull, when he went to Barcelona, the fans nicknamed him El Toro, the bull, because he was an absolute solid lad, man. Yeah. And a, a, a great centre forward at Man United. But, you know, because he's gone to City uh, as a manager, I think a few of the United fans fell out with him a little bit. But, yeah, as, as a youngster, if you watch some of the clips on, on YouTube when he when he broke into the oh. team and some of the goals he scored, yeah, fantastic player. Absolutely. Uh, just ch- challenging Mark there for that spot where I'd like Mark Robinson again. Great goal scorer, Mark. He got his chance in the first team. Arguably the lad who saved Sir Alex's job at Knott's Forest in the sort of the, uh, yeah. the cup run of the 90s. Um, but Mark, Mark was a, a really good goal scorer. He went on to have a decent career. I think he went to Norwich, uh, manager at Coventry at the moment. And 
he was very decent football and, and he also had Brian McClare as well Brian was a great centre forward uh, scored first player to score 30 goals over 30 goals since best I think when he arrived at, at United for the Celtic and just a very very good professional Brian McClare um, always always reliable and uh, a, a very decent footballer indeed so that's, that's my 11 to do it that's my 1-11 that I've kind of put together out the, the lads that I played with at United via the Houston Reds and the Fox knock on the first team door and the lads that I played with at Exeter predominantly in the first team yeah it's a fantastic team I like the look of it good balance to yeah. it as well <laughs> yeah and a lot of those excellent players you mentioned, of course, did actually go on and play higher. You look at Kevin Miller, Scott Hiley, Peter Whiston. Yeah. You know, yeah. they all went on to play play in the Premier they League. Did. They did, and I think Martin Phillips got a decent move as well. Didn't yeah, he, he did. Ball into Man City. Yeah. So yeah, they, they did. They did good and like decent fees for him at the time to do as well. Absolutely. Well, Buster saved the club, didn't he? That that move up to Man City. The, not sure if you remember, yeah. but that money that City got for him effectively saved the yeah. club from going bust. So yeah, fantastic. So a good a good bit of business from a young kid coming through the system. Absolutely, right. Well, Alan, that's all the, all the time we have for uh, this week's show. Thanks ever so much for joining me on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Yeah, thank you, Stuart. It's been great to come on and, and discuss some things, Man United and Exeter City. Some some great memories there. So that was Alan Tong speaking to Stuart. Did you enjoy that catch-up, Stu? Yeah, I did. I, I just love speaking to the old players. I love hearing all the old anecdotes and speaking, you know, speaking to Alan there and hearing about the players that he played with and his memories of his time at Exeter. It's sad, really, that he's not been back since since his uh, his playing days were obviously you know cut short really prematurely. He was only twenty four when he had to retire through a really really nasty spinal injury. So. Um, yeah, it was great to catch up with him. Nice to hear what you had to say. And good to hear about his mixed team between United and uh, Exeter as yeah, well. Yeah, that would be some team. I'd love to see that in action, that's for sure. I'm sure a lot of managers would. Yeah. Um, so, quickly, just before we end this podcast, Port Vale away, next up. The momentum with the Cheltenham game and the West Ham result, even though it's in the Czechos Trophy, it keeps that momentum going. What are we thinking about this game on Saturday? I think I'm pretty confident. I think, you know, Port Vale have come into form lately, actually. They've won the last two in a row. They've been quite hit and miss um, so far this season. But I think... For Exeter, it's got to be looking at the three points. I think if they want to maintain um, a, a good promotion challenge, um, you know, playing really well at the moment, scored lots of goals, as we just said. So, um, yeah, for me, I'd be looking at uh, all three points. And yeah. is, is, there, is there any pressure to try and keep up with the likes of Lincoln who are up there? Is there, is there pressure this early on in the season? Um, I think it's just pressure that the players are putting on themselves. Mm. I think if you spoke to any fan in pre season, they would have said, you know, mid table, it's a period of transition with, you know, so many changes with. Matt Taylor and the coaching team but when you're up there you just want to keep it going don't you I mean City were in a similar situation last year and it was around this sort of time where we start to get a few injuries and, and tailed away a little bit so I'm sure the players will remember that only too too well yeah. um, as Jamie said there the good thing is that they're winning You know, not only did they win the league game against Cheltenham but then to go into the West Ham game and make nine changes and continue that winning form it's great that the whole squad are all winning games at the moment. Um, um, Matt Taylor's certainly not going to know whatever all these managers are moaning about. He's taken to it quite quite well so far. Yeah, he, he just seems a natural. I mean, I know Matt gets a little bit irked if you say, oh, management's easy, because he knows only yeah, too well that it's not easy. But um, fair play to him, you know, he's, he's a rookie manager, he's learning his trade, but he's he's really impressed everyone so far. And the more points you can mm. rack up now, if you do have that depth, and it just keeps you in that, in that lofty position. Well, thanks to both of you for joining us, and thanks to Alan Tong, who obviously you spoke to, Stu. We'll be back next week to look back on the game against Port Vale.